Welcome everyone to another episode of Who Do You Deserve To Be? Um, it's been absolutely hectic at the moment, but amazing, um, having a great time. Um, I've got an amazing guest on today, um, using his story, his experience to help change people's lives um, physically. Um, and his, um, his story is amazing, um, with the help of his other two partners as well. Um, so this is um, Adam Hindley from The A-Game. Hi mate, how are you? Yeah, it's it's great to be on. It's great to be on. Yeah, thank you for coming on and coming on and sharing your your story and what you do, with everyone. It's it's great to have you on. No, no, it's it's great. It's good to share. And like you said right at the start, there is that I believe that everyone's person, when you've been through a struggle, your struggles can be somebody else's survival guide. You can turn your mess that you've had into a message to help somebody else. And this is the power of what I believe the power of vulnerability and actually sharing and being vulnerable and sharing about your past can help so many other people. So if what we talk about today helps one other person listening, then it's done its job. That's that's the whole point of what I do, basically. Exactly. Yeah, it's great. And do you want to carry on and just tell everyone what you what you do and what you did? And yeah, yeah, of course. So my name's um, Adam Hindley. I've worked with two guys who are also called Adam, Adam Smith and Adam Mayhew. And the three of us together have founded a business called A-Game. And A-Game is um, a health and well-being business, which primarily focuses on improving people's mental health, physical health, and internal health. So there's four, four key pillars of health. You have your exercise, your movement, you have your mindset, your mental health, and you have your nutrition and your food. And the last one is sleep. So we cover three of the four pillars. We believe if you get these right, the sleep falls into place anyway. Like you, you, if you're eating better, you're exercising, everything to do with that, your sleep will fall uh, into place anyway. So uh, effectively we're, we're experts around these key pillars of health. Like my background is in physical health. I'm a physiotherapist and a personal trainer. Then the, one of the other Adams is a nutritionist and the other Adam is an NLP qualified mindset coach and life coach. So between the three of us, we have like a completely holistic 360 approach to health all under one roof which is very a very unique service because there's great mindset coaches there's great physios and personal trainers there's great nutritionists but when you bring it all together into one one package um it's it's really powerful so we tend to work with individuals and we tend to work with uh, corporate businesses on doing well-being trainings and things like that as well oh awesome wow brilliant and you must have uh like you said you have a different variety of backgrounds of people coming in and and experience levels as well coming into you yeah that, that's exactly it is like i've just literally posted on linkedin today about about this how age age is irrelevant again especially in my area where people put um like limitations on themselves around exercise like oh God, if only if i were your age or i could do that when i were younger kind of thing it's like no oh, well your body adapts to stimulus as you give it and this works in all elements of health if you stimulate your mind to a lot of stresses and things that cause anxiety, then yes, you're going to be stressed and you're going to be anxious all the time. But if you expose yourself to meditation or breath work or um, 
like going on longer walks where you can clear your mind and things you're exposing yourself to more things that are going to settle your mind so and naturally you're going to be less anxious and it comes into the different ways if you expose yourself to healthier foods you're going to be healthier if you expose yourself to exercise and movement regularly your body's going to adapt and it's going to move better so we we tend to work with a variety of different people age ranging normally um from just above 30 all the way into like late 50s but me personally i've worked with people from your average joes in a gym to your olympic athletes getting ready to go to the olympics and uh, age range wise i've worked with a seven-year-old is the youngest person i've worked with at um leeds united academy when i worked there for a little bit and the oldest person is 92 and i got him taken into the gym wow. and was training in the gym so it, the ranges of what people can do is limited by up here it's not limited by what there's obviously medical conditions that help that stop people from doing specific things but for the average person the average thing that we're talking about here people are often limited by the mind rather than what they're actually capable of physically or mentally of course yeah and wow 92 years old god i can't imagine what i'd be doing at 92 yeah. years old that's incredible for someone that yeah. age to that just shows like you said with the mindset that's unbelievable they were in the gym as well. It wasn't like I was just working, like I was actually taking him in the gym, doing doing, doing weights. That's so. brilliant. That just proves there straight away. Like you said, it's the no age is no limit and no boundaries. If you've got the yeah, mindset yeah. and the belief, then you can go for it. And how did it all come about? How did all this start? Yeah, so like I said, right at the, when we mentioned it right at the start, it's like I believe in turning your mess into a message. And um, I'm 29 now, and a lot of people, um, well, questions I get all the time when I'm talking about things on LinkedIn, you get the odd troll here and there, like, you're not even 30, what kind of life experience have you had? And this is where, obviously, people have experiences at different, at different ages. You look at someone like Stephen Bartlett, who is like the youngest guy to be a dragon on Dragon's Den, he's not even 30 yet and he's sold a business for 300 million pounds it's like it's it's crazy so you're going to limit his experience but it's like just because you might not have as much of a say on a public platform that people tend to try and shoot you down about it but um for me growing up a big thing for me was um I had issues with binge eating and I had a poor relationship with food and this was when I've done the work I've gone back and I've thought about this and I've really like thought about where this triggered from in my childhood. Um, it come from a, the fact of that when you're younger, and I think this happens to a lot of people and a lot of people won't be aware of this. So a lot of people might resonate with this. It's that your mum and dad often used to say, um, if you want to have some dessert, you need to make sure you're eating your whole tea or you may go around to your friends and whoever finishes the tea first, is going to get dessert or something like that. So what this deep rooted kind of stigmas starting to build around food is that if I eat really quickly or I overeat because I might be full with half my plate finished but if I overeat then I'm going to get rewarded with more food so you get the emotional attachments around eating brings comfort because you get rewarded for eating and I understand where this comes from because if you think about back like two generations three generations when it's war times and people like your grandparents um, don't actually know where their next meal is coming from, food isn't in abundance like it is now, then they are going to say, make sure you eat everything because we don't know where the next meal is coming from. We don't know if we're going to get the next meal because of everything that's going on with the wars and stuff. 
So this is then passed down generationally. And what your mum said is said to your parents and then your parents have said to you kind of thing. And then as that time goes on, parents are saying it and they're not realising that now that food is in abundance, what kind of relationships this is building with people. Anyway, this happened to me from a young, like from a young age and then going up into my teens. um, I always had issues with my attachment to food and the emotional attachment that I would put towards it. And then an incident happened when I was 18 years old where I had a girlfriend at the time. We was in bed together and um, she started crying when we were in the middle of doing the deed. And I obviously stopped and asked her what, everything that was going on. And she was crying because she said that she no longer found me attractive because I had my binge eating and everything I'd put on so much weight. And obviously as an 18 year old lad, like I talk about this as if it's nothing because I've, I've told this story a lot. But like I say, this is an emotional pain that I'm sure some people have gone through in the past where you've been in a relationship, you've been like, you love this person and they come out and say something like this to you, it really hurts. It doesn't feel nice. And a lot of people are like, you must be mad. You must be furious with this woman and I'm, with this girl or whatever. And I'm like, no, it's like, I'm in a position where, again, I've thought back around it. I've done it and I've created so much empathy around it because for her to be able to say that to me must have been so uncomfortable on her behalf because I know that she loved me too but it was just the difference of there just wasn't that physical attraction there that there was when we first started seeing each other and I, I can completely understand that and I can completely empathize with that but obviously for me that really really knife in the heart kind of hurt <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, um, so from this point what I felt like I did was I went into a state of um, instead of the focus being on food, my focus changed to exercise. So I ended up fluctuating a lot over the next kind of 10 years or so and going from, well, 10 years, about seven to eight years of going from overweight in that position I was then to healthy to a point of like being lean, having abs, being fit and healthy because my background's physical health. I know what to do when I'm going into the gym. I know what to do when it comes to losing weight that bit wasn't the issue. It was my mental side of it and my attachment side of it to different things. So uh, from that point, we did end up splitting up, but that was for different reasons. I went to university, I lost a lot of weight um, enjoyed my university life. But when I was kind of going into the stages of drinking a lot, when you would at university, like you go out and you party and drink and all this kind of stuff, I would end up putting on more weight. And then I would go home from like the holiday breaks for like the six to eight weeks, I'd lose loads of weight. And then I'd go back to uni and the same thing had happened, go out, drink, party, I'd lead to more binging. And then I'd go home and I'd lose more weight. And then eventually this kept happening over the three years that I were at university. And then I got to a point of where I was in a really dark place. I was about five stone overweight and um, I just wasn't wasn't happy with who I was, how I was feeling mentally, how I looked, um, just everything in my life, basically. So I decided that enough was enough and I was going to like, I was just going to stick to it now. University is done. I need to cut everything else out and I need to just progress forward with it. And then that come to in over the next 18 months, I actually quit my job as a bartender 
um, lost over five stone and went from competing, uh, went from being a bartender to competing on a bodybuilding stage and actually doing a bodybuilding tanned up, like my, like sub 5% body fat kind of um, tanned up. And then this like weight loss transformation got featured in like the Daily Mail, the Daily Mirror, got featured on Vice and different things like that. But it was all for the wrong reasons. They're all looking at it, it's like, look how much weight this guy's lost, not look at how much the exercise helped me in a certain sense. But the, this is the important bit here because the exercise helped me to a point. And then I took it to the extreme of going down as low weight as what I was on when I were on stage. And I was miserable. I was so irritable. Like, no, I was not fun to be around. Nobody wanted to be around me. Um, like I lived for literally getting up, going to the gym, cooking like chicken, rice and veg and just eating that. And that was, that was it. And then it wasn't until the day after the competition that I ate over 10,000 calories. So I had like a massive binge, like the binges of all binges. And in one day I ate 10,000 calories. And for people that don't really realize that, I kind of go through what I did. So I went to a dessert waffle place for breakfast um, to start with. So that were about 2,000 calories there. Then I had a double full English about an hour and a half later. Then I got loads of snacks for the road when I was driving back from the competition. This includes like um, like salamis, um, like Haribo's, Krusty Kreme donuts and all these kinds of stuff. And then when I got home, I had a Chinese takeaway and like even some, I think my, some, like my brother or something got Domino's and I had half of a pizza there as well. So... There was a ridiculous amount of food that nobody should have ever consumed that amount. But it wasn't until I did that that I realized that I haven't done the work mentally to get past this issue. All I've done is change my emotional attachment from food to exercise, from food to exercise. And this has just been on repeat. And it was literally the definition of yo-yo dieting. But I just took it to the extreme of standing on a bodybuilding stage as part of the yo-yo. And it wasn't until that point then that I was like, I've still got a lot of work to do. I need to get this right. I need to get my mindset right. And my mind's approach towards it to then be able to progress properly throughout this. And like, that's kind of like, I say, that's the story around my body and the way that I've kind of taken that to the next step and taken, moved forward with it is that everything I do is about what, is my attachment to it now. So I personally don't weigh myself. I don't like looking at the scales because every day when I was doing the prep for the competition, I used to weigh myself and I used to write it down and I just watch the weight kind of drop down. But I remember the emotions and the feeling I had when I had a day where the weight went up. And this is so common for so many people is that you let the number on the scales define your emotions and your feelings for that day. And it's so toxic. It can be so toxic for a lot of people. Some people can do it. And this is not a like if you can weigh yourself every single day and you cannot have the attachment to what the number says on the scales emotionally, great, fine. Use it as a metric to measure. But 
for me, there's too many factors in your life that affect what the scales say. Like if you're a little bit more stressed at work, stress um, means that you retain more water. When you retain more water, you weigh more. If you're a female and you're that time of the month, then again, you can retain, you can retain more water. You may weigh a little bit more. You may become a little bit more bloated. And again, this is going to mean that the scale says something different to what you actually are. And there's too many factors outside of, if you've had a big meal, you haven't been to the toilet yet, that kind of do it. But there's too many factors that affect what you weigh to really use it as a, a metric if you're going to weigh yourself daily like I was. So focusing on weight is never a, was one of my main things that I try to, well, I make sure all of my clients don't focus on weight. We focus on performance. Do you feel better? Do you like the look of what you're looking like in the reflection? Is that progressing better? Do you, um, like I say, do you, do you feel like you're more attached to your partner because you're feeling more confident in your body, your clothes fitting better? These are all metrics that I actually like to measure with people and talk to people about. But the biggest thing that I could take away from all of this is that the main rule is to be 1% better every single day. There's too many people that want the end goal now. They want the final bit now like they want it too quickly and it's not about a sprint it's not about an eight-week transformation it's not about anything like that it's about what do you like say people go oh my goal is to look good for this holiday well how about you build the foundations to look good on every holiday you've got in the future not just this one because the one will lead you to that yo-yo and it's the 1% is is what's really driven me. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Exactly, yeah. And what you said there at the end, actually, remind, reminds me of something I actually put on LinkedIn um, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was. And it's something I heard, and it's from a book called um, The Boy, the Horse, the Fox and the Mole. Okay. And um, the boy is riding the horse through the um, woods. And the boy says to the horse, um, I, can't say, I can't see a way through. And the horse says to the boy, can you see your next step? And the boy says, yes. And the horse says, well, take that. And what you've just said resonates with that because yeah. too many people are too focused on what they're going to be like and who they're going to be at the end of it all rather yeah. than what they're going to do, the next step they're going to take later on that day, that morning, or the, the day after that instead of, and then focusing on that and improving, like you said, improving each day and get gaining that extra 1% each day rather than focus, like you said, focusing on the end game and going for that all the time. Yeah, because a lot of people, like, it's called creating a compelling future. So a lot of people look at the future that they want. So say someone may be a little bit overweight, but they want to run a half marathon. So they look at what a person who runs a half marathon is doing so this is a good exercise it's a really good exercise so if you are wanting to achieve something think about if i was that person that's achieved that goal what is it that they are doing what are their daily habits what are their routines what foods are they eating how are they training or what like how are they resting how are they recovering all these kind of things and we'll use kind of the half marathon one as an example here so but what happens is a lot of people go from nothing to what that person is doing so oh well that person will train five times a week 
that person will eat all this healthy food. That person will try and get eight hours sleep a night. That person will drink um, five litres of water a day, whatever it may be. And you you go in from zero to 100. It's like, because there's a great saying around this that happiness is equal to the events in your life meeting or exceeding the expectations. But the kicker of all that is you set the expectations. So if you set your expectation to train five times a week and go out for a run five times a week in this example, you're setting yourself up. So if you train four times a week, you'd be pissed off at yourself. You'd be like, I only trained four times this week. Whereas if you're starting out and you go, right, okay, realistically with my life and my routine right now and how sore my body is going to be without after these each session, probably like two times is a good, a good amount for me. And then you put four times a week when you've set your expectations at two. It's like, oh my God, I trained four times this week. I did so well. So it's like you've done exactly the same amount of training, but your expectations have shifted. And this isn't about like um, not striving to be better and not reaching to be better. It's just being realistic with yourself and setting your expectations to a level of where they're achievable because we can progress and we can build. Because like I say, if you're not meeting or exceeding the expectations, you're not going to be happy if you set the expectations on yourself too high. And that's the biggest point. It's like so many people that I start working with is like, okay, then, so what, what are your goals? Oh, I want to lose some weight, but mainly I want to be functional and healthy and mobile. Okay, how many times do you want to train in the week? I'm thinking like five will be a good start. I'm like five times a week. How many are you currently training? And oh, I haven't done anything for the last couple of months. Okay, well, we're going to go two times for the first couple of weeks. And they go, why? And then I explain exactly what I've just said to you there about it. It's like, if we get two good training sessions in a week, and then you feel like you want to do more for these first couple of weeks, that's awesome. And we are smashing the expectations of what we've set. But if you train five times a week and you're absolutely knackered by day three and you need to have a rest and you're not going to finish the five days, then you're setting yourself up to be disappointed in yourself. So, and again, this is all up here. This is not to do with the exercise. And this is why, this is why I love working on the holistic approach of helping people improve. Not just, again, I've used a lot of fitness examples here, but it's like within relationships and stuff as well. And um, within kind of your relationship with yourself, relationship with others, with your routine, with your exercise, it's, it, it's everything because, it's a you need to have that completely holistic approach to it but that saying to me the happiness is the events in your life meeting or exceeding expectations is really really powerful because there's too many people that expect so much of themselves that they're just setting themselves up for disappointment every single time they do something definitely i totally agree and i want to go back to what you were saying about people's relationships with um like I said, with food and relationships with others as well. Do you think that goes back to that goes back to childhood, doesn't it? Education, te- teaching people young, getting set up for life. Do you think that because I'm I'm big in youth, I've mentioned this before in a lot of my episodes, and I'm, I'm like I said, I'm very big in youth and helping them um, because I feel that the whole system lets them down a lot, and especially with men- the, the mental state, um, yeah. the mental health side lets them down slightly. Um, um, but I think the education system lets them down quite, yeah. 
largely, to be honest. Yeah. Not, yeah. Te- not the teachers personally in themselves. They do, I've said this before, they do a fantastic job and they work really hard and couldn't praise them anymore. But the whole system above them, I think, lets them down when it comes to life skills, uh, mentally and dealing with life because there's so much. There's positive sides to social media. Don't get me wrong. But there's that negative side of you have to look a certain way, you have to act a certain way and be a certain way. Do you think there should be someone in place in the education system maybe to help the kids with that? Yeah, this is this is where it is really difficult because I've had this conversation with a few people and I personally know like some of my friends that I went to school with were teachers and what they've done is they went from school, from high school, to college or to sixth form to university and then they went back to the school that they grew up in to teach so technically they haven't had any experience around life outside of that school a lot outside of that thing because that's where their life spent so I believe that it's got to come from higher up than that level of teachers because that level of teachers haven't had the life experience to do it because I agree with you I also agree that finances and a lot of things should be taught around money that's in school that's not being a self-employed business owner how the hell do I pay my taxes because no one's ever taught me that kind of thing but these teachers that have gone from university back into the school that they've gone and they're getting paid a salary and their taxes automatically coming out they've never had to do that so they don't know how to do that (laughs) so then they're not going to be able to teach it but again it needs to come from the people above because then the people above need to be putting on training sessions for teachers to do that so that that can be fed down and again the same thing around mental health there's because us growing up in school never had the experience of doing that unless you go through it and you go on a self-development journey and you start developing yourself and doing the work that you need to do you're not going to know about what to do to then educate the people coming down so it needs to come from the level above to allow there to be training on it there and not like the kind of it's really good people getting first uh like mental health first aid kind of thing but it needs to be a little bit more like i got my first aid my mental health first aid and i literally walked in ticked a few boxes listened to a seminar and it was done it wasn't like a it's not you don't learn enough about it to be teaching kids about it so there needs to be more education around that and again I don't know what that looks like I'm just saying that there needs to be that and we we are in a time now we're in a position of where there's a generational shift I believe of where you 40 to 50 year olds there is very few people at that level that are really truly caring about this and you can you can see that um, kind of shifting now because there's more and more people talking about mental health and there's more and more people talking about it in a positive way and I believe that when the people right now that are talking about it get up to that point within the kind of ladder of education then it will start to filter down a lot more and I believe that it will start to come into play over the next kind of 20 years or so but we don't want it to be 20 years we want it now but you have to change the mindset of someone who is very um very stubborn around mental health and is probably talking a lot more around the boys don't cry kind of mentality of um 
mentality of things and showing emotion is weakness and that kind of thing. Whereas when you have got that kind of bred into you in a sense, and that's what you've grown up like, it's it's very tough because that's the generation that's committing the suicide rates to the highest and they're committing this like they're killing themselves. Like that's the that's the period of where depression is at its highest because people are talking, they are just bottling everything up and they aren't being vulnerable and sharing. So it's it is very hard, but like I say, you can't do it from the you can't expect just to say, okay, teachers talk about mental health talk about mental health with your kids and educate them it needs to be higher and feed down and this is exactly the same thing that I tend to do when I work with businesses it's like like in the nicest way possible me helping your say a supermarket for example me helping your cashier at the till isn't going to be that useful for your team me helping the management team that can change a bit of the culture around the business that have more of a say and letting that feed down is going to have a longer lasting benefit and not saying that that person at the bottom doesn't need the support but to do a one-off training where you're helping these people isn't going to change the culture isn't going to change the dynamic of what they need what they need is the system changing they need the culture of the entire business changing and letting that feed down and it's the same in schools i think you need to change the mindset of the guys at the top the head teachers, the the kind of people that are managers of different regions and things like that, they're the ones that need the mindsets changing to allow the funding and the training and whatnot to go down into the teachers so that they can filter that down as well. Because I know I know a lot of teachers that don't have a clue around managing their own mental health. So how are they meant to teach kids about it if they don't have a clue on what they're doing on their own? Exactly, yeah. I, uh, I had a guest on yesterday and we actually spoke we actually mentioned that same thing that we have to get the people above because the people above are most likely of that generation where they don't believe that men should cry and they have to i hate the saying and i i discuss i discuss myself from saying it but the man up yeah and they're of that generation the majority of those people and like you said, if we can really drill it into them to try and change the system, because for only 2% of schools across the whole of the UK to sign the mental health declaration, yeah. which is, it's disgusting. And it's, mm. for me, that's them saying that they don't care about the child's mental health state. They, they care about more of their, their Ofsted reports and stuff like that. And their mental health should be, more important than any degree. Yes, okay, you need some sort of degree to get some careers sometimes, and some people do go into those careers. I understand that. But there is a large portion of people that do stress themselves out with these degrees and end up with student debts and work in a field that completely opposite and will never work in that career. They put all them stress, that stress through. And yeah. that has a mental effect on them as well. And but if you gave them that, those tools in school, mentally and also physically, put them through, I don't know, scenarios in school of a mental health situation where they play through scenarios and get the students to work out what they would do to help that person. And those sort of, and the same with the teachers, get them in mental first aid training sessions and 
putting through yeah. scenarios to how they would deal with certain situations is, is far better than going around and ticking boxes on pieces of paper to say they turned up and signed it. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I, I, like I say, I believe that if you were to put, like, if there was some way or some scheme of where they could put the teachers through actual therapy counselling and the like the teachers dealt with their own issues because if they can do that then they can give some of their management techniques to the kids and this is where it's difficult because every person is different every other uh, every person's problems are different situations different but just the basic things like I mean, we can all drink more water and know it. There you go. <laughs> Good timing. <laughs> we can drink more water because actually being hydrated has a massive impact on how your brain functions and can really, really help your energy levels, which might make you feel better. We can all go outside and get a little bit more exercise and walk. And this is a worry that I have around the whole metaverse and the way that gaming is and everything nowadays and the way that kids love that is that people are going to spend less and less time outside and not realize the benefits of it we can all move our body in somewhere a minute whether it is a walk and getting outside whether it's going to the gym and doing some exercise and like we can all just talk like we can just talk to people a little bit more vulnerably like we have the ability to do that it might feel like it's crazy but we don't don't do it and if we can just implement five simple steps which aren't like heavy counseling based things but if we can implement and more people can do these things like like I, I preach this, I do this for a job, but my dad doesn't do this. And it's so toxic and it's so hard to try and change my dad's mindset around it. But I'm, I'm just feeling like he'll say to me, like he'll be open with me sometimes and say, I'm just having a few days. I'm just feeling a bit down. I'm like, have you drank coffee over the last few days? Or have you been out for a walk recently or anything like that? He's like, oh no, I'm not doing that. It's like, you're not giving yourself a chance. Like for me, like, I know my, my dad has had issues with depression and things in the past, but right now you are not depressed. You are doing depression. You are doing the actions of what a depressed person would do. If you was to get up to go for a walk and to get out and you drink some water and just do some things that are a little bit healthier for your body and your mind, you would feel better. And that's something that I think is a really important point for people. Are you giving yourself a last, a, a chance at, at improving are you sat watching netflix for the third like the third hour in a row are you not really doing your things around the house and living in a bit of a mess are you eating healthy foods or are you ordering takeaways could you actually get up that half an hour earlier and go on a walk or go out and do some exercise because if you're not and you're feeling down if you if you're happy doing what you're doing absolutely fine like props to you but I would challenge anyone that says that, that are you really truly happy and you're not doing these things? And I think that if teachers started to do them things and then they were telling kids about how to do these things, they could start to build and develop these kind of culture into it around how to manage your mental health. So it doesn't have to be, you have to do this exercise about um, like going back to your childhood and thinking about all these thoughts and things like that just simply looking after you right now, like being present in the moment and looking after what you've got right now. And I believe if that was taught a little bit better, then it could easily progress and be better in the future for the next generation. 
but again, I'm I'm looking at it with with education. My view of it is it's a 20 year kind of thing. It's going to take the next kind of 15 to 20 years as our generation kind of goes up and moves up into that cycle, moves up into that position. More people are going to talk around mental health there. More people are going to be in parliament and kind of them kind of places that are going to be talking around and thinking more around mental health. And it will become more prominent in businesses in I mean, there's already a shift in businesses now. I think there's a scheme coming out where businesses have to invest money into their employees around health and well-being, which is incredible. And then schools and education systems and everything else like that will follow. So um, the more that these things can be having, the more that people like yourself and myself have these conversations and are bringing more awareness to the things that need to be changed, the better that it can, better that it can be. Definitely. And I think that was a great topic to, to finish off there and, and go and chase out who they deserve to be, really, and mm. go, and, go and chase those goals and better themselves and, and spread the word. I think it's a great way to finish, finish yeah. off. And um, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing that. It's incredible. And the work you're doing is amazing, going around and yeah, spreading all the positivity and mind and body, and that is amazing. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming on. No, thank you very much, Matt. I really appreciate it. And just to kind of leave a last little thing for, for everyone here. So the the thing that you're going through right now, the, the issues that you're having, it might not be your fault. And that's absolutely fine. It might not be your fault that whatever it is that you're going through, but it's your responsibility to make the most of it. So you need to take action on making sure that you can do the best with the situation that you've been given right now. And whatever that may be, let that resonate with you in any way that it is. But make sure that, yes, it might not be your fault, but make sure you are taking responsibility for it and you're making the most of the situation. Brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. I really appreciate that. And I'm going to leave with one question I always leave for my listeners is, who do you deserve to be? And and go and get that person. Yeah, I well, I... 100% believe I, I believe to be the best the best version of me and uh, the best version of me is unwritten yet that script is not written I don't live in the future I don't live in the past anymore I'm about present and me right now the best version of me is me right now and best version of me is so taking responsibility for their actions is it working on being one percent better every single day and um is is trying to change culture around um, poor mental health and things like that so um, I believe right now is the best version of me and hopefully tomorrow that'll be the best version of me as well and I'll keep progressing forward like that yeah definitely totally agree so thank you for coming on that was amazing oh, thank you mate